Welcome back to another episode of Preschool Pioneers. I am your host, Jeremy Walker. You can follow us on social media and can subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform so that you never miss an episode. Visit cr101radio.com forward slash preschool pioneers for these links. So let's go ahead and get started with this episode. It's entitled, C is for Coexist. How tolerance is used to undermine and replace religious convictions in children and in society. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of Preschool Pioneers for you. In this episode, I want to talk about something that is very important about a subject of our modern times. is discussing what happens to people's religious convictions if they're not careful. Tolerance and the concept of coexistence is used by people to purposely undermine your religious convictions about morality and the world. Now, the people doing this know exactly what they're doing, and they have no intention to coexist with you, nor do they have any desire to tolerate your religious convictions. What they want, however, is for you to have tolerance for theirs. Now, let's go ahead and begin preschool pioneers. We like to start with why Christians should become teachers. So Christians should become teachers because dedicated religious humanists are systematically using subversive language and tactics to undermine the religious convictions of children and society. Their goal? To purge Christian doctrines from man and society and to instill in man and society new humanistic doctrines of morality that are to be the new foundation for both man and also for society. See, now this is very, very important. Christian teachers are indispensable and invaluable for the future because Christian parents and Christian teachers influence the future when they teach children. One very important thing I want to begin here, something you have to understand if you're going to understand pretty much anything about education or about religion and religious beliefs. There are only two different things people are doing. A direction, you could call it. We are either moving away from sin towards God, or we are moving away from God towards sin. See, because both Christian and humanists believe in the doctrine for a need of salvation of sorts. They may or may not utilize that terminology, but that's what they believe in. They understand there is a, a need for salvation. But salvation from what and to what is a good question. As a Christian parent and as a Christian teacher, you have to be able to understand that doctrine. Because the only difference is what you're wanting to be saved from and what you're moving towards. Now, as Christian parents and teachers, our goal is to teach our children that they want to be saved from sin, sin within themselves, and we have a growth towards, moving towards obedience to God and His commandments. That is the Christian's goal. Now, the humanistic goal is identical except the other side of the coin. And this is something you have to understand if you're going to be a successful Christian parent and teacher. The humanists believe they want to be saved from God, His standard of morality, and His law towards sin. Sin being disobedience to God, Sin being man determines for himself what is right and wrong on his terms, and no one gets to tell him what to do. That is what they are going towards. Now, a couple of ways that they do this. One way is subversive language. Subversive language is a tactic that is constantly used in this effort because they take it for granted that people that are, you know, claim to be Christians have a certain moral standing, and they want to separate themselves from things that are considered to be evil. And so there's certain subversive language like bullying. That was not a terminology that was ever used when I was growing up, except for the term when you had one person in particular, say a 
larger boy who was purposefully and deliberately every day picking on somebody who was younger, either calling them names or being physically abusive, verbally abusive, or emotionally abusive. This was considered bullying back when I was growing up as a child. But now this concept of bullying has been utilized for any time you disagree with somebody else's moral choices or moral positions. And if you attempt to teach them something different or tell them that what their position or what they're doing is wrong, then you're a bully. And of course, who wants to be a bully? Nobody wants to be a bully. Nobody wants to be labeled as somebody who's bullying somebody. So this language is used from what it should have been, where a deliberate attack and vicious behavior was done on purpose to try to hurt and undermine and destroy somebody for no reason. And now it's done for those people who are trying to say, well, you're not allowed to do this or that. You're not allowed to teach this or that. Your actions have to conform with God's commandments. And if you do that, now you're a bully. And so they have kind of pulled this concept, which we could, in general, all agree on. And now, of course, we can't. Another new one is the concept of hate speech. Hate speech is subversive language. In general, we can all agree that we are not supposed to use speech that is hateful. But the underlying subversive nature of such a concept of hate speech is that how do you define what is hateful speech? In general, from the Christian perspective, it's something that is done on purpose to be offensive or hateful or evil towards another person. But what is really meant about hate speech, going back to the bullying concept, is whenever you say that somebody is not okay for their life choices or their actions, when you say that a person's life has to conform to God's commandments, if you say certain actions are immoral and evil, this is considered to be hate speech. And so now what is supposed to be something we could agree on you're not supposed to use speech that is hateful, now is being used against people who have a Christian, let me say that again, a Christian standard of morality because the people who are humanist have no problem whatsoever using every type of filthy, demeaning, disgusting language to label those people who disagree with their humanistic doctrines of morality. They will demonize Christians and their morality all day long. They are not limited by the concept of hate speech because whatever they say is freedom of speech. Whatever Christians say is hate speech towards them. And it's a concept they use to great effectiveness to limit what people say because now they're considered to be haters, hate groups, hate speech, religious zealots. They use all kinds of terminologies much less many vulgarities, to label people who simply are having a biblical Christian standard of morality and saying this actually applies not just to me subjectively, but to my family and to the community as a whole. Another concept is the concept of love. Who can be against love? Love. Everybody's supposed to love one another. Now, the concept of love is not the Christian concept of love. The Christian concept of love is limited by God's law. Good example of this, when you're teaching your children and when you're teaching your students, if you're a Christian teacher, when you're teaching how to love people, well, it's very simple. How do you know when somebody loves you? Well, first of all, they don't lie to you. They tell you the truth. With our humanistic friends, their concept is when they lie, that is love because they are going to try to get people to believe lies. And if, they, if you love somebody, you're going to let them believe that lie. But how dare you tell them the truth about the real world, because that would be hateful speech, not loving speech. How can you, once again, love the thief versus, of course, the person who is honest? You can't. So biblical law tells us and gives us our definition of what love is. It's not permissiveness. Humanistically speaking, our t children and our students are being taught in governmental schools all across the world 
that love equals permissiveness. Never telling somebody something they don't want to hear or that they're doing something wrong, that their choices are not theirs to make and only theirs to make, that there's a standard out there for life and how they either themselves act or how they interact with the rest of the world. Some people would say that love and fairness and equality, all these concepts, these are all incorporated in love. So on a political level, love is sharing the wealth. It's taking from the rich and giving to the poor. That is love. That is fairness. That is equality. And of course, they don't mean equality as in the concept of we're all equal, even the concept of like, say, racism, things like that. There is no such thing as equality based on what they are saying. That's not what they mean when they say these words. When they say fairness, it doesn't mean that they all want us all to be the same, meaning all to be nationally, to be respected or racially respected across the board or whatever it might be. That is not what they're talking about. Not only do people mix up these terminologies to purposely confuse people, to hinder them, to silence them, our children are being taught these things as well. And it becomes ingrained into them so that way they start to understand that if you try to apply a moral value that comes from the Bible, you are a bully, you're hateful, you're unloving, you don't believe in fairness, and you certainly don't believe in equality because those concepts that all come out of the Bible are all hateful and evil. And the way to find non-bullying, non-hateful, loving, fair, and equality that is with humanism and humanistic doctrines. That is what's being pushed on our students and our children. And our job as Christian parents and as Christian teachers is to fight against that. Now, there's a couple of different tactics that are used also in this concept of coexisting and tolerance. One of those is mixing moral issues with non-moral issues. This happens quite a bit. Uh, slowly breaking down your repulsion to a new concept, kind of like that frog that's in boiling water. Whenever they're trying to change the society's moral values, they'll slowly continue to slowly slip in these moral values. Uh, they did this uh, recently with, uh, I would say, back when I was growing up, the concept of transgenderism was not a concept that was acceptable at all by anybody in society. But slowly it started getting pushed in into the movies and to television, and eventually, just over the last couple of years, in the schools, they were having drag queen story time. So introducing children to the concept of transgenderism and drag queens and all the stuff in between so that the children would start to see it as a normal type of concept, slowly breaking down the, the, the tolerance level, the repulsion that might be there. And, of course, they don't go after the parents because they're not trying to change the parents, but they want the children. And so these kinds of concepts, these tactics are used slowly to build this tolerance of what they believe is right because – these humanists are dedicated to their religious beliefs, what they believe is normal, what they believe is moral, and what they believe society should look like. And they are tirelessly working towards this goal and have been doing it for a very, very long time. Now, there's another thing that they do. They declare the need for all of other people in the world to build up a tolerance or toleration for those that are not like them, that disagree with them. Now, this is a very interesting and dangerous subject because when they say building a tolerance and toleration, that's not what they really mean. They're saying, you need to build a toleration for us, the humanists out there, our beliefs, our doctrines, our morals. But why? Because they want not for you to coexist. They're working to subvert your religious beliefs, get you to stop teaching your children get the teachers to stop teaching their students Christian morals and beliefs in favor of slowly working in humanistic doctrines as the new standard. Now, another thing they do in tactic-wise is labeling those who disagree with their new concepts of morality in a very negative way. We kind of cover this a little bit by labeling you as a bully, labeling you as intolerant, labeling you as a hate speech person. These things are done to give people a desire to avoid this negative labeling. And because of that, it starts to silence them more and more and more. 
the students will start to say, well, I don't want to be considered one of those. I'm not one of those types of people because the definitions are subversive. And so they purposely will start to separate themselves, stop to talk about their religious foundational beliefs, and then start to talk about the humanistic ones because that's the only way to avoid negative labeling. Also, they will come after people all the time when they start to teach something. You're teaching hate. And this is certainly in the last uh, year, with 2021 coming around in 2020 last year, whenever people, and this was Democrats versus Republicans, they were, of course, absolutely demonizing anybody who disagreed with them. We're talking about the Democratic side here. And it doesn't mean that the Republicans don't do it too, but this is just an example of how they do it. They will absolutely 100% justify anything they do, anytime, and then demonize those who disagree with them. And this is considered to be a normal thing, but this is a tactic that's used not just in the political sphere, but mainly to silence Christians. And then one of the biggest ones, which I think is the most insidious thing of all, is a deliberate uh, religious quote-mining manipulation tactics that are utilized. That's where they, religious humanists who do not believe the Bible will take the Bible and then pull verses and things out of context on purpose to manipulate, as in saying, this is what the Bible says. What you're teaching is a perverted view. We, as the religious humanists who don't really believe the Bible anyways, we are interpreting the Bible correctly in a favorable position for us who are religious humanists. So we don't actually disagree with the Bible. You are teaching a false version of the Bible. You've radicalized yourself, and therefore you're not actually even Christian because we agree with Christians. These are some of the subversive tactics that are used for people to try to bring in this transition. Your beliefs as a Christian parent or Christian teacher are not tolerated by these religious humanists who are out there who are deliberately and purposely attempting to squish and silence and destroy your religious foundations personally within your children and any potential influence you could have on society. Now, a couple of things I'd like to touch on is some very interesting definitions of this concept. Concepts like coexist. Some definitions are like to exist together or at the same time or to live in peace with each other, specifically over matters of policy or doctrines and things like that. Well, that is true. You can coexist on a certain level, but you cannot coexist with the opposite. It does not work. It cannot coexist at the same time. Light and dark cannot coexist. When you turn on the light, there is no darkness. When there is darkness, there is an absence of light. And the Bible uses this basic general concept so we understand there is no ability to coexist with certain things that are completely contrary. Now, we're not talking about coexisting with people who like chocolate ice cream versus vanilla ice cream, but you can't agree and you cannot coexist with a thief versus your private property. It's impossible to coexist with a thief who thinks it's righteous and moral to steal from you. And it's a good thing. He deserves it. On a political level, not only does this concept, you know, personalized, but on a political level, there are political parties right now in America who believe it is their moral duty, the just and fair, equitable thing, is to steal money from people from using politics, using governmental guns, and then take it from you, and so they can use it for themselves or give it to somebody else. Theft on a larger, more nationalistic level. There is no way to coexist with that. You can't coexist with somebody who wants to steal from you. You also can't coexist with somebody whenever you are teaching that the family is the central structure, the most important structure in society, and there are people who are systematically trying to dismantle that, trying to redefine that, trying to demonize anybody who would say that there is a standard in society itself. You can't coexist. You cannot be living in the same space at the same time. The reason for it is that they, on the humanistic side of things, are not coexisting with you. They are working to dismantle your ability to say that certain things are right and wrong in society, in particular of those who have 
uh, sexual nature, what you are and are not allowed to do with your body. And from a Christian perspective, God is very clear with what things are acceptable and unacceptable. From the humanistic side of things, there is no God. Therefore, we determine what is right and what is wrong. And only one of those two things are going to succeed. They cannot both coexist at the same time. They are at war with each other. And while people will try to say we need to coexist as Christians and get along, that is true. But that's not what is being meant by it. Because those who are against Christian parents and teachers do have no desire whatsoever to coexist with you. Your teachings of God do not exist inside the school systems in general in America, the governmental school systems, that is not able to be taught. You cannot come and teach into a public school that certain things are right morally and certain things are not because these schools are not religiously neutral. They are 100% religious in their foundation. The foundation just isn't Christian. It's humanistic. Now, I thought it was very interesting. I came across the Urban Dictionary, and the Urban Dictionary also had a definition for coexisting. Their definition was a belief system which claims tolerance but is itself a doctrine of absolute belief that all morals and religions are ultimately equal. Believers in the concept of quote-unquote coexist will attempt to impose their belief on any systems which declare contrary absolute doctrine. Also, the quote-unquote coexist believers do not conscientiously realize the self-contradiction in absolute belief which declares that there are no absolute beliefs. Now, of course, this is wrong. They do understand this. What they want for you to do is give up your morals and your religious beliefs in favor of theirs. In other words, when people say we all just need to get along, we all just need to coexist, that's not what they actually believe because they themselves have a standard. And their standard is there aren't any religious or moral beliefs. That's their religious belief. That is the definition of humanism. Every man his own God. No one tell me what to do. Now, of course, when you have a world full of gods, what do you have but all these gods thinking they can determine reality? Which means that in the end result, there is no such thing as coexistence, even if you did get rid of the concept of Christianity. Because now you have all these little gods warring against each other because their definition of reality is the right one. Tolerance, of course, is at the root of all this, as we mentioned before. Now, tolerance also has a definition I thought was very interesting that parents and Christian teachers need to know. Definition being sympathy or indulgence for beliefs or practices differing from or conflicting one's own. Now, to a degree, there can be tolerance of, say, denominations within a religion. That means there's an overarching agreement on the basic tenets of religious foundations, belief in God, belief in Christ, belief in the Bible, and then, of course, underneath that, you have differing definitions. Or in the case of humanism, there is no God, there is no morality, and so we can all agree on that, and then there's different denominations or different sections of that. Some believe in this, some believe in that. Some have beliefs that are somewhat similar to, uh, let's say, Christian beliefs, let's say sexual nature. But there was a humanist who said that anybody, and this was very interesting, anybody who would not... Uh, have sexual relations with their mother or their sister is a closet Christian. Now, why would the humanist say this? Why would this be a standard from a humanistic evolutionary standpoint if you would have to have sexual relations with your mother or your sister freely and without guilt or your closet Christian? Well, it's simple because if you are not willing to do that, then you're holding on to the idea that there are sexual rules that cannot be broken. There's a standard there. And if you break the standard, not only is it wrong, but there's guilt implied. There's something that you did that was wrong. And so the the closet Christian who claims to be a humanist would hold to the idea that, yes, having sexual relations with your mother and your sister freely, without guilt, then would be a good thing, just as if you were eating a ham sandwich. There's nothing wrong with it because there is no standard. Now, not all humanists would believe that. Not all humanists would agree with that. And that's why they can have a general tolerance of each other 
because they're all on the same religious footing, there is no God, but they're not all in the same denomination, where the one might still hold to some ideas that seem to be Christian of some sorts, and the other ones are far more down the road, at least self-consciously down the road, where there are no morals. And so that means that there is no such thing as theft. There is no such thing as murder. There is no such thing as rape. There's no such thing of anything. Because if you get down to the bottom, what they're really teaching these students, what they're trying to teach your children, is that there is no standard. There is no morality. You came from nothing and are going towards nothing. Now, they claim they want this tolerance just to coexist with you, but they do not. They will not coexist with your moral standard. They want you to temporarily coexist with theirs only to the extent that you continue to coexist with theirs until yours are gone. Theirs will become the only dominant religious foundation of society. And that is what they want for your children. That is what they want for every student in America. Because toleration is allowing, permitting, or accepting of an action, an idea, an object, or a person which one temporarily dislikes or disagrees with. And they mix these things up for your students and for your children. These tactics, you have to be able to see them to know what they are. Like they have one concept, several of them, like the gender tolerance, racial tolerance, national tolerance, and tolerance for people with disabilities. Now, these are things where people are different from you. Like if you're a male and somebody's female, males should not hate females and demean them, this kind of an idea. Racial tolerance is where whatever type of uh, racial or type of human you are, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever you want to call it, we're not supposed to look down on each other and we're not supposed to demean each other based on that concept, which as Christians we completely agree with. National tolerance, where just because somebody's from a different nation in and of itself isn't some reason to hate somebody. Completely agree on. And, of course, the concept of people with disabilities. This can be people who have mental or physical handicaps and all the rest in between, and so you're not going to treat people with hate, disdain, or otherwise because of these differences. Now, of course, these concepts are simple. These are things that people are. Now, that's where the hiccup comes in. These things who are what people are are mixed in with things that people choose. And that's where the problems happen. This is where the subversion happens for your child and for your students. And this is why governmental humanistic education is dangerous. Because they mix this in with religious tolerance. You know, your gender, if you're male or female, uh, with your religious tolerance, religious beliefs. Well, you can't agree with every religious belief. That is not the same concept. One person who believes that they're humanistically believe that theft is okay, we can't tolerate that. That is something you completely are against and disagree with and are at war with, this concept. There are people who believe that they should be allowed to have sexual relations with children. And they're open about it, many of them. But that's not something you can ever tolerate. It's not something you can ever agree with as a Christian. It's not something that is the same as a person whose skin is white or black or brown or whatever it might be. That is not remotely the same concept. These things are mixed up entirely. The political tolerance is another one because, as we said before, your religious beliefs become political policies. And if you think it's morally right to go and kill somebody based on their nationality or because of their skin color or because you think it's okay to suppress somebody based on their race— then yes, these things are not something that we can tolerate. This is not something we can agree with. But they mix it all up. Human expression and religious or sexual expression are also mixed in. No matter what I want to do with my body sexually, I should be allowed to do it, and you should be have to coexist with me and tolerate what I want to do. Not only men with men, women with women, men with multiple women, women with multiple men, or maybe it's just a person who wants to have sex with animals. It doesn't matter. You're not allowed to tell me what it is. You're supposed to just tolerate my self-expression, my personal beliefs about myself, and you can't tell me I'm wrong. Well, that's not something we can tolerate either because not only are they doing that, people are doing this as humanists, 
they're teaching your children, if they're in the public school system, government school system, that this is something that they get to choose as well. And when they do that, you guessed it, they're undermining your, if you're a Christian parent and Christian teacher, your Christian belief that God has set a standard on our ability, our limited self-expression about who we are and what we can do. And when these doctrines are taught in the school systems, this is not, repeat, this is not a neutral ground. They are undermining Christianity and doing it on purpose. They know what they're doing. Christians are too silly and foolish to recognize it, and the vast majority of Christians will take their kids to church on Sunday, maybe Sunday afternoon, maybe on Wednesday night for Wednesday night service, but they will put their kids every single day in the government school system to be taught by religious humanists who are teaching and undermining Christian doctrines every single day. But somehow this isn't a big deal. Now, I'd like to add as you're going through here and finishing up this, because I wanted to just point all this stuff out, I would like to talk about a little bit on what it means to, you know, love your neighbor. Because we had some concepts there about love, but Matthew 5 has Jesus talking about it. And I talked about quote mining earlier, Matthew 5, 43 through 46. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? See, I've never had anybody take this verse and utilize it in these concepts. Because there are people, and this is how we should react. We want to talk about tolerance, our ability to, quote unquote, coexist with people. This is the biblical doctrine of coexistence. There are going to be, and there are right now, people who hate Christianity. They're going to be teaching children to hate Christianity, and they hate you. And they're teaching children to hate you too. But what is our response to them? What is our concept of love towards those who hate us? Because they do not have this. They do not have this concept. Humanistic doctrines and religious beliefs do not have the concept of love your neighbor. Their concept is destroy your neighbor who is your enemy. Absolutely destroy. You can see this specifically on the political uh, level. They absolutely seek to completely destroy those that disagree with them at every single turn. But Christians are not that way. So we are not in a battle. When I say we're in a battle, it doesn't mean we're in an offensive battle where we're trying to attack and destroy people. We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to bless those that are cursing us. In other words, we do not attack those who are attacking us. But what does love mean? Once again, we have to have a biblical view of love. So we teach our children, we teach our students that even though we're going to the world and we have Christian religious beliefs about the world, about God's world and how it runs and operates, their reaction to people who hate them and will attack them, either verbally or otherwise, their reaction should be to love those people. That doesn't mean to tolerate such people, meaning that you don't let them continue to spew their hate. If it is in the workplace or in the school environment, those people who are doing something wrong need to suffer consequence. That's how we are loving them. We're not allowing them to get away with it, but it means we don't reciprocate. We don't deliberately go after to try to hurt those people, even though we do seek to have them stop and leave us alone. Because Romans 12, 17 through 21 says this, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And as Christians, this is how we teach our children to coexist 
in a world that is at war with them. They need to know that the world is at war with them. And they need to know how to react to people who are reacting to them negatively, trying to destroy them, trying to hurt them. First of all, our goal is to live peaceably. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We're not trying to purposely go out of our way to bother people. In fact, when people do evil, we're flat out told, do not seek to do those people harm. We're supposed to, at all times, seek to provide honest things. And honest things, of course, are the keeping of the commandments. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to lie. You're not supposed to bear false witness. All the things in between. And why can we tell our students of this? Why can we tell them to restrain themselves when they're deliberately under attack? Why? Where does this come from? Because humanists don't have it. They want to get you now. They're going to destroy you now. It is their job. It's their right. They will get you. They will avenge themselves. So why is it our students, your children, should listen to this? What is it? What is their confidence that we can give them about as they move on in the world and as they grow older? How can they be told that this is going to work out? Why would we leave people alone? Why would we not go after people and deliberately try to attack them? Because he says here, God is going to repay all wrongs. If you are done wrong, God is watching. They don't have that as humanists. The humanists can't teach their students or their children this concept. If somebody doesn't get what's coming to them right now, here and there, then they've gotten away with it. Christians don't believe that whatsoever in our students, our children can be taught. You do not have to repay somebody. In fact, when God does repay on his time, it's going to be far worse than any vengeance you can have upon yourself. God's love is better than your love. And his vengeance is far greater than your vengeance. Giving room to God. Don't overcome evil with evil, but to overcome it with good. When people despitefully use you and lie about you, do not seek to do the same. Seek to teach, uh, tell the truth about them. And telling the truth also means telling about their evil deeds. So your students who are in school and somebody is lying about them to get them in trouble with the teacher, but they're not supposed to do the same. But if somebody does do something wrong to them, calls them names, tries to do something to hurt them, steals from them, being abusive towards them, whatever it is, they should tell the truth. Meaning that they go to the teacher, they go to their parent on a larger level. You go to the police officer, whatever it is, and you tell the truth about those who are trying to hurt you. Now, what happens to them is their fault and their responsibility. That's not vengeance. You're not trying to go out of your way to destroy somebody, but you are not supposed to allow them to hurt you. So there is a difference between these two concepts and your students and your children need to hear it. But you're supposed to do good to all those people, never trying to hurt them. If there is a real need, as a good example for students in a classroom, if somebody who hates your guts for some reason doesn't have a pencil and they can't find a pencil and you have an extra, hey, why don't you use my pencil instead? These concepts, when you see somebody actually in need, you're supposed to not withhold it just because that person hates your guts. Because what happens when you do not reciprocate the evil and the vileness of what they have done to you? You will heap coals of fire on their head. This is an image. Coals of fire, if, you're, if you know what coals are and how hot they are, they're the most hot thing on the planet. You touch that, it's going to sear you. Dumping an entire heap of coals on someone's head would burn them practically to death. So in other words, God says our offensive weapon for people who are trying to hurt us is by doing good. That will far worse upset them than if you call them a name. Because doing good to them reveals that the problem isn't you. Doing good reveals the problem is them. And so as we go through life, as your children go through life, they have to be able to learn that concept, how you respond in the world of social media in particular, Christians have not figured this out. They are just using the same tactics of attacking people constantly instead of blessing them. And yes, telling the truth about them is perfectly valid. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But we're not supposed to also focus on that for our students. That, that's a big concept for me is because we're talking about this in preschool pioneers, not only pointing out the problem because we've kind of been pointing out the problem the entire time that humanists are attacking Christians, what they're doing. But now we're talking about how to fix that problem. Much likely don't get upset, do good, keep the commandments towards those people. So what can Christians do then as we're continuing to discuss this to combat the humanistic perversions of coexistence and tolerance and evil and perversion? Now, I think there's two main things that Christians can do as we're closing this up a little bit. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 is very clear about one of the primary things, the primary focus of what Christian parents and teachers should be doing. Quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That, unquote, is the number one place we start. How do you fight against the concepts, uh, the, the false concepts, of coexistence and toleration that are not true? First, we teach our children and our students the truth. Simple as that. We don't fo uh, focus on false doctrines. We don't focus on the evils of other people. We focus on the standard. I've said this before on Preschool Pioneers. We get there first. Our enemies are doing the same. They are not in public schools teaching about the evils of Christianity. That's not what they're doing. They're not in there teaching of the wrongs of the creation theory, or sorry, creation belief and the creation doctrines. They are there simply teaching their truth, what they believe is true. 100%, they do not focus on anybody else but their truth. So they understand this doctrine and follow it to a T. And it's also what Christian parents and teachers should be doing instilling the truth and your beliefs in them. Next was also in um, about number two, we can teach our children that evil men desire to have them join them in their rebellion against God and in their evil deeds. And they must be vigilant, our children need to be, in rejecting these attempts so they can avoid being punished with these evil men. Because two verses which I think are very important and this is something we have to teach our children and our students. Proverbs 1, 10 through 16. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Now, they have to be able to understand what a sinner is, of course. They understand sinners because you taught them as the parent, you've taught them as the teacher, what the righteous look like. So now the sinner is the one who is contrary to that. Now, of course, as I said before, our humanistic doctrines that are being taught in our governmental school systems are teaching this too. They're telling their students and their children, don't listen to the sinners who are trying to teach you Christianity or about God or God's moral standards. Do not listen to them. And that's the same thing we're saying. There is a non-coexistent, non-tolerative thing going on right now. You cannot have light and dark. And there are two sides to this coin. Either God's standard prevails or man's, but there aren't two. And neither one can coexist. They're not supposed to listen to each other. We say, don't listen to sinners. That is the humanistic side that is teaching you against God. Verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. Now, the innocent are those people who are, like what we're talking about here, Christians for Christian standing, people who have not done something wrong to them, people who are innocent, they want to destroy them. See, this is a deliberate attack. They're trying to pull people in to assist them to destroy those people who are doing good. Verse 13, We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us, and let us all have one purse. Now, this part is very important. They're promising by joining them in their attempt to destroy good, godly people that they are going to prosper. You're going to have all precious substance. Your house is going to be absolutely filled with riches. You're going to be a blessed person. Come with us. We'll all join together. Join us. We will have one purse. Cast in your lot. Join us entirely. Give your heart over to us. 
let's work together against God. Verse 15 is the answer. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. The advice here is not to walk with them. That means you're not supposed to be on their side. You can't join with them. You can't coexist with them. You cannot tolerate people who want to destroy good people. The concept comes back to another one is abortion, a major issue in America today. This is not something that you can tolerate. This is not something you can coexist with. How can you coexist with people who believe it is morally right to rip young babies apart, arms and legs, and crush their skulls in their mother's wombs and pull them out? You can't coexist with that. It's not something you can just tolerate and say, well, it's just a personal preference. You can want to have your baby and believe that they're precious and they're God's gift, or, you know, crush it up and rip it apart and pull it out of your mom. And that's just how some people are. Kind of like chocolate ice cream versus vanilla. No, it's not. Not remotely the same. And so you cannot be in the way with them. You can't, you have to refrain your foot from their path. The path is the direction they are moving. Are they moving in the direction away from sin towards God? Or are they moving away from God towards sin? And this is the path that they're on. Because their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. They want to do evil. Evil is breaking the commandments. They're going away from God and towards what we would call autonomy. Making decisions for themselves, what is right and wrong. Could care less what God says. Whatever I want is correct. They are running quickly to do this. And to shed blood, they want to destroy other people. And you can see it. Proverbs 13, 20 through 21 is also one of those wonderful passages which also we should be teaching our students and our children. Quote, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. This is what we teach our students and our children as Christians. If you are a wise man, you're going to walk with wise men. That means the direction you're going is the same. You're going to go away from sin towards obedience to God. That is where wise men go. Wise men walk with other wise men. You're a fool if not, because the companion of fools will be destroyed. When you're walking away from God towards sin, you're going to be destroyed. Because God says, evil pursues sinners. Destruction pursues those who are walking away from God. It's like that movie, if you remember it a long time ago, The NeverEnding Story. This picture always comes to mind when I think about it. But in the movie, Artreyu, one of the protagonists, was being chased by a wolf, pursuing him, pursuing him, pursuing him constantly, constantly chasing, chasing, chasing him. And this is the image that I get when I hear this concept, evil pursues sinners. Judgment is coming for those people. It's not just you might fall into it. it might, it's not bad things might accidentally happen to you. We live in a personal world with a personal God who is deliberately, purposefully going to come after those who are disobeying him and teaching people to disobey him. We don't have to worry. We can just relax. We can do our jobs as Christian parents. We can do our jobs as Christian teachers. We don't have to worry about changing the entire world tomorrow. Why? Because God is going to have vengeance, as he said, on all people who abuse others and break his commandments. The fools will be destroyed. Those people who are moving away from God are going to lose. Evil is pursuing them right now, every moment of the day. Something terrible is pursuing them, and eventually it will catch them. But the righteous will have good repaid to them. Did you do good to your neighbor? Did you do good to your brother and sister, to your mother, to your father, to your fellow students, to your teachers? Then you are going to have good repaid to you. The Bible says you reap what you sow. Now, humanists don't have this doctrine. They can't teach this to their students or to their children. The world is just a accident. And that means 
There is no confidence that all the wrongs will be righted. There is no confidence that you are going to be repaid for your good deeds. There is no confidence that evil men will eventually meet their end. That evil is coming after them. It is pursuing them. Judgment is going to find them. There is no such concepts. There is no such confidence. But for our children and for our students, they can have that confidence. And this is why Christian teachers are so important because of this concept right here. Because they can have confidence in a God that is in control. And no matter what's happening in the world around them, they can believe and know that obeying God's commandments will turn them into a winner. And breaking God's commandments will turn them into a loser. We can coexist to the extent that we are attempting not to attack our evil fellows that are in the world. We can coexist to that point. But our coexistence does not mean we don't teach against it. It does not mean that we tolerate evil. It means we tell the truth about what is going to happen. And when they turn on us, when they despitefully use us and attack us, we do not reciprocate. And when they are in need, we help them. And that is going to be as if we dropped a heaping pile of coals on their head. The worst thing you could possibly do to somebody, cause serious injury to them, is not reciprocate, but to show the love of God. That's what we should be teaching our students about the concepts of coexistence and toleration. Be mindful. Learn what God wants you to learn. Obey what God wants you to obey. And you are going to be repaid with blessings. That includes us as parents. And teachers, do you want to be blessed? Or are you going to put your children and students on the road to be companions with fools so they will be pursued their entire life by judgment and evil? That is what stands before every Christian parent and every Christian teacher. Are you going to be a blessing to those children? Or are you going to be one of those who bring them down and curse them? And I want to remind our listeners of our sponsorship of the GCS Apprenticeship Program that seeks to find the next generation of young men and women to become Christian teachers. If you would like more information on this, visit gcsapprenticeship.com for more information. And as always, I want to thank our listeners for joining me on Preschool Pioneers. I've enjoyed this time. I've hoped I've given you something to think about and something that will prompt you to get involved. So thank you for tuning uh, tuning in today with me, Jeremy Walker, Preschool Pioneers, signing off. Thank you, and God bless.